when I was younger, there eventually came to a point where my dad was determined to teach me how to ride a bike. And eventually, at some point, when you ride a bike, in order to ride a bike well, the training wheels have to come off. And so I remember the first time my dad, he took the training wheels off, and he kept encouraging me, Christian, keep your balance. That's the only way you'll be able to ride this bike. And what he was telling me was to Christian, keep your center on your bike or you will fall off. And so the first time I kind of rode my bike without training wheels, I could not ride in a straight line. Like when I ride, I would swerve left and right. And, and eventually I, w- I lost control and I crashed. And that happened over and over again until I learned to center myself on my bike. Now, why do I share that? Because this principle, I think, carries over into our walk with Jesus, that if we are not centered, we will fall. If we are not centered, we will crash. And right now, we're currently in a series called Family Matters, and we're in this series because your family matters, and your family matters to God. And last week, Pastor Tim, he gave an amazing message on the purpose of family and God's design for family. And if you haven't watched that, I would encourage you to watch that this week. But one of the things that Pastor Tim mentioned last week was this idea of being centered, And today, I just want to dive a little bit deeper in that idea of being centered. And so today, we're going to read from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now, Deuteronomy, everyone's favorite book. Um, I I love the book of Deuteronomy, um, actually. And what's what's, what's going on in this passage that we're about to read is that Moses, he is actually, he is giving his final address to the people of Israel before they enter the promised land. And so most of Deuteronomy is Moses' kind of last speech to the nation of Israel before he dies. And we know that last words matter, and last words carry a lot of weight. And so what God is commanding Moses to tell the people of Israel is very, very important. And so we pick up in chapter 6, verse 4. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Now, in this short passage, we can actually find two key principles to being center. Two key principles that, we, that, that would help us to center our life on the thing that matters most. And the first is this. Jesus wants to be the center of your life, not just part of it. Jesus wants to be the center of your life, not just part of it. And we get this from verses five through six of what we just read. And we're just going to review it again. It says this, it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Now, if you've been in church for, for any period of time, that should sound familiar. This is, this is what Jesus said was the greatest commandment. And Jesus is referencing this passage right here. And this is what it looks like to be centered on God. But the problem is, 
a lot of us want to love God, not with all of our heart, but with some of our heart. And we want to just keep a casual relationship with Jesus. Or we, we want to love God with some of our soul and not our everything. Or, or sometimes we, we like to love God with some of our might. And, when, and when, the, when the cost is high and when God asks us to sacrifice, we say, I'll only sacrifice to this point and I won't give you any more, God. You see, and Jesus, he even paints a clearer picture of what this looks like in Luke chapter 14, verse 26 and 27. We're going to read it. And these are Jesus' words. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Man, isn't that just music to our Midwestern ears? And you see, a lot, we, we like to reference the, you know, carry your cross and follow Jesus, but we forget the context in what Jesus is saying it. And now I know what some of you are thinking. Jesus tells me to love people. Like, why is he telling me to hate my family? But what Jesus is actually doing is he's actually, he's using an idiom that kind of gets lost in translation between the Aramaic he spoke and the Greek the New Testament was written and the English we speak. And the, the idiom that he's saying is, he, is, what he's saying is your love for Jesus should be so high and so supreme over anything else that when you put anything else beside it, even your love for your family, it seems like you hate them in comparison. What he's, call, this is, what he's calling us to is ultimate loyalty to Jesus, even before our family. And if we put our family above God, we cannot be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And here, here's why this is so important. God loves your family more than you do. And he, and he knows how to, to love your family best. He knows how to love your family better than you do and better than I do. And, the, and part of the reason why this is so important that we're centered is that we cannot lead our family where we're not willing to go. Like if we're not centered on Jesus, our family cannot be centered on Jesus. Family is a good thing. Family is a blessing. And, and Pastor Tim even talked about last week how family is ordained by God. But with anything good in life, it can become an idol when it's not in its correct place. Family included. In his book, How to Worship a King, Zach Neese, he writes these words, and he, he asks the question, when does a blessing become an idol? When it competes with the voice and the affections of God. Our family becomes our idol when it competes with the voice and the affections of God. And for a lot of us, the temptation is to be content with Jesus just being a part of our life and not the center. And what we do without realizing it is we actually, we make our family the center and we make Jesus just another part of our life. And, and Jesus did not design us that way. Jesus designed us to have him at the center. Like, and here's the truth about your life and your family. I, either Jesus is Lord over all or he's not Lord at all. And a lot of times we're content with, with Jesus being, you know, 10% of our life or 20% of our life, even 99% of our life. But Jesus calls us to 100%. And as someone who did not grow up in the Midwest and, and, and moved to the Midwest in my 20s, I, I, I've, it's, it's helped me to have a kind of a clearer picture of this. Because I think as a culture, this, is kind of, this is, can be a blind side for us. This can be a blind spot for us. 
And a lot of times we like to cast stones at other parts of our country. and We're like, oh, you put yourself over God. You put your desires over God. But in fact, sometimes we, we put things over God that shouldn't be over him, which nothing should be over him. And so let's just look at some symptoms of what it, like, what it looks like to not be centered on Jesus, just, just to give us a clearer picture. So a lot of people, they're, they're not centered on God, but they might be centered on their spouse. Here's some symptoms of that. If your spouse can talk you out of the will of God, you're probably centered on your spouse. When, when you run into problems in life, when you have decisions to make, if you go to your spouse before you go to Jesus, it's a symptom of being centered on your spouse. When the first thing you think of when you identify yourself, if, if you think of yourself as a husband or as a wife, before you think of yourself as a child of God, that might be a symptom of being centered on your spouse. And, and this, this plays out in so many lives. And when we center our lives on our, even though spouses are a good thing, a lot of dysfunction in marriages actually comes from this. Because sometimes like what happens is that when, when, when a couple gets married, either one person or both, they make their spouse the center of their life. And here's the thing, whatever is at your center is what you worship. And so what we do is we, we, we make our spouse our God. But the reality is no one of us can live up to Jesus. None of us can. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so eventually what happens is we expect our spouse to be perfect. And then the realization hits. Then the honeymoon phase is over and we start to see the ways that they, maybe not, they don't necessarily line up with Jesus and sometimes they fail us or hurt us. And eventually, what was started off as worship of our spouse turns to deep bitterness and resentment. And over years, that grows. And then eventually, one spouse realizes, oh, I can't worship this person. They fail me over and over again. And so they choose a new center. And sometimes that new center is someone else and they start an affair. Or sometimes they choose their kids as their center. And they start to worship their kids and they completely give up on their marriage. And then they're just waiting for the youngest kid to graduate to divorce. And that wreaks so much destruction in the family. But, but the irony and the sad thing is, is that eventually that person's kids are going to fail them too. Because I don't care how perfect you think your kid is, they can't live up to Jesus. Sorry to break the news to you. Whether they marry someone you don't like or move far away or maybe one, maybe one day they put you in a retirement home, one of these days, that, that same process will repeat with your kids. And, the, and, then, and then that person grows up and they're bitter towards everyone because they've, they've made everything but Jesus their center. And all of your heroes will disappoint you and fail you except for Jesus. But this isn't just married people. Single people do this too. Like, we're, we're sold this lie from when we were a young child that, oh, we just need to, find that, we need to find that person, and then we'll be complete. We need to find that person, and then we'll live happily ever after. And for those of you who are married, you know it doesn't work that way. A symptom that a single person can be putting a potential significant other over Jesus is that they jump from relationship to relationship, looking for someone to fulfill them, looking for someone to complete you. And here's the thing. No other person can complete you. That is a lie. If you go into a marriage incomplete, you will still be incomplete in marriage. The only person who can make you complete is Jesus Christ. 
The only one that can, that can heal the bitterness, the only one that can make you whole again is Jesus. Sometimes single people, they com- they, like whenever you have a conversation with them, it always turns into them complaining that they don't have a relationship. And by the way, just for the record, if you're someone who's single, I would encourage you not to do that. You will not attract a godly person that way because idolatry is not attractive. Some people turn to pornography. And this is, this is something that I used to struggle with. And by the grace of God, I've been freed. But all that does is it, it just makes the void deeper and darker. And it doesn't fulfill. And what Jesus is saying in this passage is that anything we make our center besides him, we cannot be a fully devoted follower of him when we do that. And when we do, it reeks it reaps destruction in our lives. And we, sometimes we don't see it. Sometimes it takes years for it to become noticeable, but it always ends terribly. And this is something I've struggled with. Like, I, like making Jesus our center, like it is a fight. It is not something that happens by accident. And for me, I remember like in my first year of college, like I had given up everything to follow Jesus. I, I moved to a different country. I moved a thousand miles away from everyone I knew to pursue God's call in my life. And, I, and, and somewhere along the line in that first year, my, my center began to shift. And so, you know how it goes. Like I started talking to this girl and I really liked her. And, you know, I was like days away from asking her out. And I was like, all right, finally, you know, finally, God, I've been waiting for this. And I remember like pretty much a day before I was going to make it official, I remember the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, Christian, you are beginning to love her more than me. And, you know, and and there's the games we play. Was that really God? Like, I don't think God, that's God really telling me to, to, to that. Like, maybe, maybe that's just a random thought. But no, it was the Holy Spirit. And I remember what he told me, he said, he said, Christian, if you don't break this thing off, you will struggle with idolatry for the rest of your life. That, see, not every conversation with God is, is fun. Like, no one wants to hear that from God, right? And so I remember, like, you know, I, I went through the excuses. I went through the five stages of grief. And, um, and then eventually, like, I, I broke things off. It had nothing to do with, with, with this other person. It had nothing to do with her. It had everything to do with my heart. And that, and that my center was moving away from God. And, and God was trying to protect me from that. And, and at the time, it was very painful. And sometimes I was like, is this really the right decision? But, but looking back, I am so glad I did that. Because if I didn't, like, I couldn't imagine struggling with idolatry for the rest of my life. Like, there's no way I would be where I am right now if, if, if I haven't fought to keep Jesus my center. And he was, he, like, he was protecting me from the destruction that that brings. And for some of you, like maybe it's dawning on you that maybe Jesus isn't quite as central to your life as you think he is. Well, here's some, here's some practical things that I think will help. First and foremost, you cannot do it by yourself. We need the Holy Spirit to transform us. We can't just, oh, I'm going to try harder and do better. That never works. That's how we become Pharisees. And so one of the first steps we take... Pray and beg God that he would transform your heart. Because prayer actually changes things. Like God actually, he hears our prayers and he responds. And so if you need God to transform your heart, ask God to transform your heart. And if you're not even there yet, like God, I don't want you to transform my my heart, but I I want to want you to transform my heart. If that's where you got to start, start there. And as the Holy Spirit works on you, there's there's some more practical steps that you can take. 
And Jesus laid it out in the passage. He talked about carrying our cross. And what that means is to sacrifice. And the more we sacrifice for Jesus, we, we keep the things that can, could become our center in their place. When, when, and by the way, everything that Jesus asks you to sacrifice, it's always worth it. In the short term, it might be painful and you might not see it. But every time Jesus asks us to give something up, he always gives us something better in return. More of himself. And there's nothing better than Jesus. So one of the ways we sacrifice is we sacrifice with our time. This is, this is part of why we spend our time in prayer and in the word of God. We, maybe we wake up a little bit earlier or go to bed a little bit later or, do, or take something out of our schedule that we were going to do, like, you know, watching Netflix or whatever it is for you. And we sacrifice that time to spend with God to help us re-center on his word. Another way that we sacrifice is with our money. And this is everyone's favorite favorite way to sacrifice. But this is part of like why we tithe, why, why we give our first 10% to God. We, the, the reason we do it is because it's not like God, God doesn't want to rob you. Like God has enough money. God has enough riches. The reason we do this is because we're, we're saying, God, I'm not going to center myself on money. I know that money can't provide for me. Money can't save me. Only you can. And so God, I trust that you can do more with my 90% than I can do with my 100%. That's the heart behind why we do that. It's, it's an act of worship. Another way that we sacrifice is that we sacrifice our preferences, our wants. And we say, God, whatever you ask of me, I'll do it, no matter the cost. And we lay our preferences down, because, and, we, and we choose what's God's best over what we think is just good. And another way that we sacrifice is with, we sacrifice our comfort, and this is what it looks like to serve, to lay our lives down, to serve others so that they may experience the love of God. This is why when you come in the doors, there'll be people that greet you. That's why there are people in the sound booth. That's why there's people up here that, that lead worship on a Sunday morning. But it's not just within the four walls of the church. It's when we serve our communities and serve our families and lay our life down and say, no, I'm going to lay down my comfort so that you can experience the love of God. And the more we lay those things down, we lay whatever our potential center could be, we lay those down so that we could recenter on Jesus. So that's the first principle. Jesus wants to be the center of your life, not just part of it. Here's the second principle. Jesus wants to be the center of your family, not just part of it. Jesus wants to be the center of your family, not just part of it. And we get this from verses 7 through 9 of, of what we just read. And so we're going to just review it again. And this is right after it's talking about these commands should be on your heart. It says, You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And the picture that is being painted here is that God wants to be the center of all that of all your family does. I mean, think about it. When you wake up, when you go to sleep, when you're traveling, when you're home, and everything that we do, Jesus wants to be at the center. And again, the temptation for us is just to settle for less and settle with God just being a part of our family and not the center of our family. You know, we just take our family to the church on Sundays sometimes. And then the rest of the week, our family acts as if Jesus doesn't exist. And that's not how Jesus designed our families to operate. 
And so here are some symptoms of what it looks like to be an uncentered family. A lot of families are centered on itself. And here's the thing. If you center your life on your family, your family will probably become self-centered. Like, like, like maybe, maybe you stop going to church and being part of the body of Christ because maybe your, your kids don't have as much fun as they want to. Another symptom would be we, we take our families out of the body of Christ for extended periods of time. And the most common version of that is throughout the summer, we'll take, three months, we'll take a three-month break from church so we can spend time camping with our families and going on vacations and doing sports. And look, there's nothing wrong with taking vacations, but when your family is missing from the body of Christ for 25% of the year, that's sin. In Hebrews, it talks about to not neglect the meeting together like some are in the habit of doing. And when, when, and when you cut off any part of your body, that part dies. Like if I were to chop off my finger, eventually that, that finger, like all the cells in it would just wither and it would die. And that's what we do with our family sometimes. We, we cut our family out of the family of God and we, and we, expect, we expect them to, to go through life and, and to remain centered on Jesus. That cannot happen because Jesus has designed us to do this together. Our faith is not a solo experience. And when we do this, we, we don't just rob our families of a chance to have an encounter with God. We rob the church because God designed us to need each other. Like, like maybe there's someone that, 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 that comes to church today or another day, and, and, and the way God designed it was that they were to have an encounter with someone in your family to lead them to Jesus. And sometimes we miss that opportunity. And look, and I'm, and I'm not saying it's, you can never go on vacations. That's not what I'm saying. But when we, when, we, when we cut our family out for extended periods of time, it's detrimental. Another symptom is that when holidays and celebrations are just reserved for our family. And this may sound like a weird one. So let's go to Luke chapter 14, starting at verse 12. And this is, the, this is Jesus He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. This is a command from Jesus that I think oftentimes we ignore. Hospitality is such a huge value of God. And in our country as a whole, we have kind of lost that value over the last couple of decades. I mean, now when someone comes and rings your doorbell, you're like, peek out the window, who is this weird person? Why don't they just text me like a normal person? Right? And, and kind of the mindset that we've, we've shifted to is that it's just me and my family and no one else matters that much. But that's not how God designed it to be. You see, God doesn't just want to be a blessing to your family. God wants your family to be a blessing to others. Like, think about the person who might be single and a young adult who's moved far away from family. What do you think they do on holidays and Labor Day and Christmas and Thanksgiving and their birthdays? They probably spend it by themselves. Think about the person who's recently divorced. The loneliness that they feel. And that holidays can maybe even become even harder for them because it just highlights how alone they feel. Or the person who maybe, maybe they're older and they lost their spouse, their spouse passed away, and they're a widow or a widower, 
or they lost a child. Like the, the holidays and the celebrations, that just highlights the loneliness for them. That's why for a lot of people, the holidays are actually tougher for them. And in our country, depression is at an all-time high. And part of the reason is that we have isolated ourselves from everyone else. But God designed the church to be a family. But sometimes the family of God doesn't feel like a family when we just focus on our biological family. But when we're centered on Jesus, that changes. Another symptom of, not, of a family not being centered on Jesus, maybe, maybe we're afraid of teaching our kids about Jesus and calling them to commitment because we just don't, we don't want to shove Jesus down their throat. You see, but here's the thing. Your kids are having theology shoved down their throat every second of every day. Their schools, the political parties that they like, the entertainment they watch, the social media they ascribe to, all of that is forcing theology down their throat, whether we like it or not. And for us, isn't the most important thing that we can impart on our families, isn't the most important thing Jesus how could we not share that with our kids and with our families? How could we not make that the center? Like, an example I can think of is like when, when, when a kid has a sports game that interferes with, with God's will for life, or, or, or maybe there, there, there's church and a sports game is at the same time. Like, if sports is chosen the majority of time, it's probably because sports is the center. And I know that's a, like, that is a big sacrifice to ask of your kid. Because you know that if they don't go to that game, they probably won't start. But wouldn't it be much better to teach your kid now how to sacrifice for Jesus instead of them trying to learn when they're a young adult and they have no idea what they're doing? Like, the, the statistics are that 85% of kids that grow up in the church walk away from God as soon as they hit college. 85%. And we're not exempt from that. Like we can say, oh, our church is different. But in order for us to have a different statistic than that, we have to live radically different. Like for the record, like, like sports, family time, none of that can save your kid. Only Jesus Christ can do that. Shouldn't that be the center of our lives? Shouldn't that be the center of our families? He is the only one that can deliver them. He's the only one that can deliver us. And this is where a lot of families, and in, in, in not just in the Midwest, but in our country, this is where we reside. We're content with letting God just be a part of our family and not the center. And that just, that just this is where a lot of dysfunction and, and factions and strife and fractured relationships and the divorces in our families, this is, this is the root of where it comes from. It's that we make something else the center besides Jesus. And when we make something else Besides Jesus, the center, what we do is we, we, we vaccinate our family on Jesus. And now vaccines are, have been a hot topic in the past few years, but the way traditional vaccines would work is that you would get a, a weakened or a dead version of a virus so that your body would learn to fight it. And sometimes what we do with our own lives and with our families is we vaccinate ourselves from Jesus. We, instead, of, instead of showing our families a risen Savior, we show them a dead one that has really no impact on their lives. We give them just enough Jesus to teach them to resist the Spirit. Our half-heartedness will turn to our family's hard-heartedness. 
and we miss and we even we miss out on a lot of the promises of God when we don't center our lives around him. Like one of the most common ones I think of is Romans 8:28 and actually we're we're going to review it. It says this. And we know that in all things God works for the good and we usually stop there. But there's a condition for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. You see, here's the thing. God's love for you is unconditional, but a lot of his promises are conditional. And sometimes we get mad and we rage at God because we don't get the blessing of God. But in reality, we haven't met the condition in which he, met, he made the promise. Like the truth is, things don't work out for people who don't have Jesus as their center. And, I, and I'm not talking about being perfect. Like, you don't have to be perfect to have Jesus as your center. But things didn't work out for Pharaoh because he wasn't centered on God. He was centered on his own power. Things didn't work out for King Saul. King Saul was centered on himself and being the king versus being a son of God. Things didn't work out for Judas. Jesus was a part of his life. Jesus was a major part of his life. He left everything to follow Jesus. But in the end, things didn't work out for him because Jesus wasn't his center. Money was. Part of the reason why I'm so passionate about this is that all the destruction that we see in our families, like it comes, the root of it is this issue of being centered. And this is why it's a big deal because when our families aren't centered on Jesus, our families are the one that pay the price. Our families are the one that miss out on the promises of God. And look, I know what some of you may be thinking right now. It's like, why is this bachelor in his 20s talking, about, talking to me about raising a family? He knows nothing about being a father or being a husband. And the truth is, I can't speak about this from a father's point of view, but I can speak to it from a point of view of someone who grew up in a family who was uncentered. You see, my family... When I, when I was very young, we were centered on Jesus. Like, my, my mom used to be a missionary. My dad used to be a youth pastor and a worship pastor. And our family was really centered. And then there came a point in our life where there was things that happened. We were wounded by the church, and we made a big move from Georgia to South Carolina. And somewhere along the way, we lost our center. Church wasn't a big priority for us. We would go, the amount of times we went a year, I could count on my fingers. We never prayed together. We didn't talk about the Bible together. And, and I've just seen the destruction that they brought in my own family. Like, I have siblings who have walked away from Jesus. Like, and that's a big deal. This issue of center can mean an eternal difference for the members of our family. And, and, and the broken and fractured relationships that, that, have, that have been the fruit of that in my family. All of the destruction and the dysfunction has come from this issue of being centered. And this is why it's so important for our families to be centered on Jesus, on the word of God. And maybe what some of you are feeling right now, like, like, like maybe it's a little discouraging right now. Because here's the thing. The weight of being centered on Jesus is massive. The eternities of our family members, that is a huge weight to bear. And the truth is, you cannot bear it by yourself. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit's help. 
And so practically, the way, some of the ways that we help to center our family on Jesus is, I mean, first and foremost, I already mentioned this, but we have to become centered ourselves. Before revival starts out there, it has to start in here. It has to start in the heart. And again, we can't lead our families where we're not willing to go. And the truth is what is taught is, is more powerful than what is taught. So we can teach our kids and our families all the day long that Jesus is the most important thing. But when they see that Jesus is just a part of your life, that's what they'll hold on to. Like, like kids who are turned off from the church and turned off from Jesus because they were forced to go to youth group, because they were forced to come to church, because they were forced to read the Bible. The reason why they're so turned off by that is because they saw that Jesus wasn't in the center. And they saw the hypocrisy behind it, and that's what turned them off. But it's a different story when they see that Jesus is everything to their parents. It is a much different picture. And so we, at first it has to catch with us, but the next thing we do, it's still, even though what's, what's taught is more important than what's being taught, it's still essential that we teach that we teach our kids what it means when we go through suffering to go to God, what it means to lay down our lives for him. We take every opportunity to teach our families how to make Jesus the center. And I, and I, remember, I know sometimes that it's, it's, a, it's a dig from the world, like, oh, you guys are just brainwashed. But the truth is, like, we need to brainwash our families. And, like, hang on with me for a second. Think about the, think about the phrase, brainwash. Sometimes our brains are filled with junk, in lies that we believe from the world. And we need the word of God to wash that away. That sounds very similar to in Romans 12 when it talks about being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Our brains and our minds need to be washed by the word of God or else we're going to go on believing the lies that everyone else tells us. And so to sum up, Two key principles of being centered is that Jesus wants to be the center of your life, not just part of it. And that Jesus wants to be the center of your family, not just part of it. But again, I, the, the temptation I, I think that a lot of us might feel is, oh, I'm just going to become centered on Jesus. I'm going to make my family centered on Jesus so I can save them. You can't save anyone. We can't even save ourselves. That's why we need a savior. We need Jesus. All of us. And if you're someone who doesn't have a relationship with him, the bad news is that you need a savior. I don't care how, how much money you have in your bank account or how strong your family might seem right now, eventually there will come a point in your life where you lose all control because the reality is our, us having control over our lives is just an illusion. We have no control. We all need a savior because without God, our center becomes sin. And all the destruction, all the evil we see in the world is a result of that. But the good news today is that Jesus saves and that you don't have to reach out to God. He's already reached out to you. You don't, have to, you, you don't have to make your way to God. He already made a way to you. And that's why Jesus came and he lived a perfect life. He died on a cross and he rose from the grave three days later. He conquered sin. And he didn't just save you from the consequences of sin, but he did do that. And so if you don't have a relationship with Jesus today, I am begging you to put your trust in Jesus because it will change everything. It will change everything. And, I, and I'm a testament of that. Jesus has changed my life radically for the better. But here's the thing. If you have a relationship with Jesus, Jesus doesn't just save you from the consequences of sin. He saves you from the power of sin. He saves us from the power of sin to destroy our families. He, he saves us from the power of sin 
that causes divorce. Jesus can save your, if you have a dead marriage, Jesus can save it. If you have a, a, a wayward kid that has walked away from the Lord and you don't know what to do, Jesus can save them. If your family has broken relationships, Jesus can save that brokenness. Jesus can save your family from that brokenness. Jesus can save your kids from your mistakes. You don't have to be a perfect parent. Jesus can save your family from bitterness and unforgiveness and whatever dysfunction you want to put in there. Jesus can save you from pornography. Jesus can save you from drugs. Jesus can save you from everything. But, it, but our lives, it's a, lot like, it's a lot like my car. If those of you who don't know me, my car breaks down all the time. Like, I just have bad luck with cars. Now, when my car has issues, I have to take it to someone who knows how to fix it. I have to hand it over to them and let them fix it. If I just try to drive it and fix it on my own, I'm just going to make it worse. And the same is true with our lives and with our families. If we, try to, if we just hold on to it with a death grip, that's what we'll reap in our family's death. We have to hand our lives and our families over to Jesus and let him do the saving. Let him do the resurrection. Let him do the revival. And in a few moments, we're going to go into a time of response. And you might have noticed that there is, there is an index card on your chair. And something that we're going to do as an act of worship is I would encourage you to think about what do you need Jesus to save you and your family from? Like, and if you and your family already have a relationship with Jesus, like, maybe you need Jesus to save your marriage. Maybe you need Jesus to save your relationship with your kids. And whatever that is, I would encourage you to write it down on that index card and then fold it up. I don't need to see it. No one else needs to see it because we, we can't save your family anyway. Only Jesus can. And then I would encourage you to take it to either of these crosses and just lay it down at the foot of the cross. And we're going to do this as just a symbol of Jesus is the one who saves, not me. Jesus is the one who saves, not my parents, not my, not my spouse. Jesus is the only one who saves. And this is, why we put, this is why we make him the center of our lives, because he is the only center that we can have that won't utterly ruin us, that won't utterly destroy us. He's, Jesus is the only center that we can have that can redeem and fix what's broken. He didn't cause the brokenness, but he can redeem it. He can fix it. So I'm begging you today to make Jesus the center of your life and to make him the center of your family because it will change everything.